We have a couple of scripture readings for today. The first scripture reading comes from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see... They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant, your heart shall thrill and exult, because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you, a multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord." The second reading comes from Matthew chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. What a beautiful day. What a great uh, opportunity to gather together in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to reflect on this event in our gospel narrative. So I have to say, I wasn't sure what I was going to be able to do today until about 48 hours ago. I had no voice. It was completely gone. The whole break, I went to my family's and I went to my wife's family's house and I couldn't speak the whole time above a whisper. But it's back. And we're here. And we're going to think a little bit about Epiphany. So yesterday was Twelfth Night from Shakespeare's play, Twelfth Night. Yesterday was the twelfth day of Christmas, which means that it's over for another year. Maybe you still have your tree up, maybe you don't, maybe you still have some decorations around, Uh, but for more or less, Christmas is done for the year, and we're on to something new. The season of Epiphany begins on January 6th, that's today, 
And it goes till Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, which is in February 26th this year. The word epiphany is a Greek term that means something is being revealed or something is being disclosed or uncovered to us. An epiphany is whenever you finally get to see something that had been hidden before. It has often been used to refer to a manifestation of God to humans. There once was a king with a bit of an ego problem back in the second century before Christ named Antiochus IV, and he called himself Epiphany because he sort of saw himself as a god among men. Now our scripture today from Matthew chapter 2 is about the wise men, the magi, who come from the east to pay homage to the newborn king of the Jews, to the baby Jesus in Bethlehem. And even though some people like to put the uh, magi figurines or the wise men figurines out with their nativity scene with Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, they're not actually there on the night of Jesus' birth, but arrived sometime later. And there are lots of popular misconceptions about the wise men. The Bible actually doesn't tell us very much about them at all. For instance, we don't know how many of them there were. Customarily, we think of three because they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And we have attached symbolic meaning to those gifts. Gold is appropriate for a king. Frankincense is what you light in the temple as a representation of prayer to God. And myrrh is to indicate the spices packed in a shroud at death. But we don't know how many, we know there are three gifts, but we don't know how many of the magi there were. There might have been two or 12 or more. We also don't know where they came from exactly. All it says is that they were from the east. We think they may have come from Babylon or Persia, which today, uh, interestingly enough, would be Iraq or Iran. In those days, those were nations with a tradition of star watching, and there were Jews in those lands, so people would have been familiar with their prophecies. Then there's the question of the star, that wonderful light in the sky that led these individuals to the Savior of the world. Many people have tried to determine what that might have been. Was it an asteroid? A supernova that uh, has been recorded elsewhere in history, or what? Well, maybe it was something miraculous, something that our modern scientific classifications don't, uh, don't quantify. Perhaps the most interesting or important thing about these magi for us today is that they were, were Gentiles. The word Gentile refers to anyone who is not a Jew. Most of us here today are probably of the Gentile persuasion. So why is that important? Back in those days, it was common for individual nations to each have their own individual gods. The Assyrians had their gods, the Romans had their gods, the Canaanites had their gods, and so on. And the Israelites 
buck the trend because they had their solo god. Now sometimes the nations would duke it out in battle to try to see whose gods were stronger and dominant. And the conquered often had to adopt the worship of their conquerors. That was the state of things, and most people, at least outside of Israel, were content with that. The idea of the Israelites, of the Hebrews, of the Jews, that there was only one God, one universal Lord and Master and Creator, the God over the nations of the earth, and that all other gods and deities and demigods were false and fictional, this idea would have been seen as arrogant, to say the least. The simple fact that these Gentile wise men traveled all the distance to worship Jesus tells us today that Jesus is not just some national God. He is not just the King of the Jews. He is not just the Lord of Israel. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the God and Savior of all peoples, no matter what nation you come from, no matter what race you are, what color your skin, what language you speak. Jesus Christ is indeed the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'm always inspired by Revelation chapter 7, a passage about heaven, which says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. In the kingdom of God, it says, there were people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In this postmodern time, many people believe that all religions teach the same basic message. That it doesn't matter, ultimately, if you are a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Jew or a Christian or an unbeliever or a pagan or any of the above. But if that were the case, why did the Magi bother to march across the deserts and mountains to pay homage to Jesus. If their pagan deities offered the same essential benefits, why not stay home and give that gold to the temple of Ishtar and burn the incense in the halls of Zoroaster? It's because they understood something. They understood that the savior of the nations is found in Israel. And his mother is a virgin. The wise men came looking for a God to worship, to bring their gifts to. And they found a baby. What they found was Jesus. And anyone who is searching to find God today must also be pointed to Christ. It hasn't changed in 2,000 years. There is only one God And only one access point to him. The man on the cross. The man whose blood atones for the sins of all. 
Epiphany says that Jesus came for everybody. It's easy to forget sometimes. But during his earthly ministry, Jesus reached out to tax collectors and prostitutes, to sinners, Samaritans, Romans, and others. And his final words before his ascension were to baptize all nations. Epiphany is a good time to think about that great commission and a good time to reflect upon cross-cultural missions and missions of all sorts and being a witness to Christ to our neighbor in word and deed. Because our Lord Jesus came in order to break down the barriers that we build between one another. To say that Jesus is the Savior of the nations, finally, is to simply say that he is your Savior and mine. The gospel is not some abstract proposition, some notion. It is, in fact, the announcement of the inauguration of a new reality that is dawning even now. Jesus Christ came to save you. He came to forgive your sins and mine and wash you clean. And you, we, are going to live forever in the new creation. The babe of Bethlehem came to save you from death, from death itself, by his own death and resurrection. And I hope and I pray that in the new year and in this new semester that we will let that star be our guide. In Jesus' name, amen.